20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, good exhortation to us. Father, we give thanks to You for Your Son that You have made a way to put away the guilt of our sin forever so that we would be found in Your eternal Son made man in order to experience and love You as He has always loved You. That we would delight in Your glory in unimaginable ways in the future resurrection. You are good and You are worthy. Amen. This text is about every Christian's intimate, personal walk with God the Father. This verse was purchased by the cross of Christ so that we can be in this life experiencing obedience to it. But every Christian struggles with this because we are yet sinful. And in the Exodus story, in Exodus, the second four books of the Pentateuch, what we see there is a picture of our sin. The children of Israel were delivered miraculously by the Creator of the universe, the Father, the God of Abraham. And in almost no time, started to murmur, started to grumble, because they faced some trials. Which pointed out that they had no trust, no faith in the God who had just delivered them miraculously, sign after sign, Little trial, it's over. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why did you ever take us out of Egypt? At least back there we had onions and garlic. And it was revealing that for most of them, they had no heart of gratitude for all things to God. And we as Christians, oh, how we experience murmuring in our own life. And I think if we be honest, there are times where most of us find it almost obnoxious that the Apostle Paul would command us to give thanks always for everything. But I think the commentator on the book of Ephesians, Peter O'Brien, absolutely nails it. And that he is biblically driven when he makes this one statement. Thanksgiving is almost 
a synonym for the Christian life. I think he's right. It has to do with our love for and trust in and walk with God our Father. So if you're there again in Ephesians 5, remember the context. It's been a while. And in the context, just notice Paul's Trinitarian structure of it. Be filled with the third person of the, of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Always giving thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The context goes back to verse 18 where there is the one main verb, the imperative, the command of what to do. And that is this, Christian, be filled with the Spirit. That's it. And then there are three things that that results in. All three are participles. Those three are, be filled with the Spirit resulting in singing praise from the heart. Secondly, giving thanks always for all things. And thirdly, submission. So, this morning we concentrate on that second one, thanksgiving. And so let me just isolate it so you get the flow from verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes to us, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which results in your always giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's a statement that I would derive from that. Christian people, born again people, as they are being filled with the Spirit, do give thanks to God the Father on the basis of who Jesus is and what He has accomplished in His death and His resurrection on our behalf. And therefore, we as believers in Jesus are constantly desperate for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to do this. Because to the extent that we are grumblers and constantly bemoaning our situations is the extent to which we are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Instead, we are walking according to the flesh. Our sinful nature. Now, here's the question. Is the Apostle Paul serious here? I mean, in the words that he chose, in the way that he has phrased it, is he really trying to be precise? Or, or, or really, is this just rhetorical? In other words, could it be read, Christians, give thanks to God for, you know, most of all those really good things that you have, or those things that are emotionally pleasing to you. Yes, I like it. And therefore, always give thanks for those things. That would be really easy. we would not need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do that. Would we? And that's not what Paul says. The Greek word for always, it means always. Constantly. In every situation. Always. Which, you know, I don't know about your life, but my life, it includes Constant trials. And the Greek word for everything, it means everything. That's what it means. It means all things. And so you can say, no, 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 come on. It's just rhetorical way of speaking. Of course, 
Paul isn't advocating giving thanks for all the frustrating turns and experiences of our lives. If you say that, then I think you really don't understand Paul. Nor do you understand the gospel that he preaches, nor do you understand the purposes that God has for your life. Paul practiced this that he exhorts us to do. He, he had a worldview that was larger than each particular circumstance, pleasant or unpleasant, in his life. And it informed him of some massive, salvific reality. He said it this way in Romans 5, starting with verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know something that suffering produces endurance and we know that endurance produces character and we know that character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Paul's thinking. And, and so we can see Paul and Silas and Philippi being illegally beaten and imprisoned and having their feet locked up in those metal rings so they can't escape. And at midnight, what did they do? In the midst of that, they sang praises to God. That's got to be thanksgiving too. Who He was and who He was at that very moment in their lives. In another time that he was imprisoned in Rome, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. And he told them about what's happening. That he's got a number of enemies who are professing Christians in Rome who are endeavoring to make life miserable for him, Paul. But Paul says, in that, they are nevertheless preaching the Gospel of Christ. And so I rejoice in that. And we have the book of Philippians, known as the letter of joy. While he's in prison, rejoice always again, I will say. Rejoice! And it was from that same prison that Paul wrote our verse. Always give thanks for everything. Now you would think, here's Paul. I mean, he was a faithful servant in, in my judgment. A sinner, yes. An apostle. And so you would think through his faithfulness he had some kind of good karma that would just come back to him constantly in his life and things would go smoothly. But he writes this in 2 Corinthians 11, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments than anybody, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift on a piece of wood in the ocean, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false Christians, in toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, 
in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Okay. Give thanks all the time for everything, Paul. Paul would say, yes, but why? Because he understood God's love. Because he understood God's working in the midst of such temporal, unpleasant circumstances. He even, he even lets us in on how he was taught this many, many, many times. But here's one instance that he, he says, how I, how I learned when he writes in 2 Corinthians 12. And so, to keep me from becoming arrogant, conceited, because of the ministry he had, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God gave to me, he says, because of that, in order to keep me from that, he got a gift. A thorn. Think about a big, sharp thorn sticking into your body. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep... Wait a minute. Okay. To, to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay. That was not... Satan's goal. Paul, I'm here to help you. I care about you. No. It was a messenger of Satan, but there was another being who had a larger purpose. To keep me from being conceited. He wasn't feeling that all the time because he goes backwards. He says, let me tell you what happened. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that this thorn should leave me. But He said to me, No. My grace, Paul, is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with being insulted, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities, because when I am weak, then, in this mysterious way, because of God's working, eternal things, I am strong. Okay. So, it is in that sense, you got to hear me carefully here, in the big picture sense, not in the isolated, horrific experiences left alone floating around, but in the big picture of the good experiences and the horrific experiences and what they are sewing together eternally for Paul and for every believer. It is in that sense we are to give thanks for all things. Because in the thorn, the shipwreck, the cold, the exposure, we trust that our Father knows 
And we don't. But He knows what He's doing. And so from His prison cell, He writes, giving thanks always and for everything to God, your Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so, for everything. So does this mean that you have the experience, a horrific experience of witnessing a murder in front of you that as a Christian, I'm supposed to say, okay God, I just saw that guy murder that other man right there. So, oh, thank you for that murder. Thank you, thank you. What a wonderful thing. No, it doesn't mean that. Are we supposed to thank God in isolated? Let me look at the evil done of the molestation of children and thank God for that? Or for the death of a parent's nine-year-old child to cancer? Or you hear on the news, another terrorist attack in a mall kills 120 people. Thank you, Father, for that. That is not what Paul is saying. Should we thank God for those things, isolated things that in and of itself He hates? God hates sin. So when sin is happening and causing harm in your life, in someone else's life, how are we to thank God for that? It, it seems like the other principles in the Bible, like mourn. Not have a thank you, thank you, but mourn over evils, calamities, and tragedies, instead of giving some big hearty, thank you, O sovereign God, you're in control. What I'm saying is this. We are not to look at particular, isolated incidents of evil, pain, without any connection to anything larger than that, and just say, oh yeah, thank you. I don't think that's what he's driving at. So, for instance, when it comes to all the sin in the world and the pain that it causes, we are to obey Psalm 97, verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, this is what you're to do. Hate evil. But somehow, as we are hating evil, we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to God always for all things. We recognize that God is sovereign, that He is thus in ultimate sovereign control over all happenings in circumstances. True. So let me just use a biblical example. Because that's true, we don't isolate apart from greater ends that God would have. We don't isolate the sin of Judas Iscariot in betraying Jesus and coming up and kissing Him in the garden and say, oh, that's... Judas' sin, his betrayal, thank you. No, we don't do that. Nor do we do it with the sin of the Jewish council in railroading Jesus to get him put to death and say, what an awesome thing. It's not an awesome thing. It's sin and God hates it. And we should too. Same with Pilate and his cowardice. Remember the story of Joseph in Genesis? His brothers, so jealous, hated him. 
And they sold him off into slavery. So years later, this thing is unfolded and he's... Dad is now dead. Jacob's now dead. And the brothers are right there. And he's talking to them. Joseph doesn't have the theology. Oh, your wicked, evil intent. What a good thing. So, God, thank you for this. It's not how he spoke. But he said it like this. To his brothers. As for you, absolutely, you meant evil against me. God will deal with that. But somehow, now, on a different plane than the plane of your evil intent, which I will not praise, somehow, in that same event that you did and intended evil against me, God meant it for good. Bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we, we hate the sin. We don't say, Oh, Father, thank you for killing my wife in a car accident today. Or thank you for that wicked murder that was on the 11 o'clock news. No. But in the midst of such pain that it's appropriate to grieve over and to not wish or want to happen to anybody else, much less yourself, we can trust that all the pieces of God's sovereign providence, the beautiful one, and the very ugly ones, that in the end, as we pull back from that tapestry, we know, for those who know Him through Jesus Christ, you see He's spelling out to the glory of God. And for that we give thanks. Every piece of your life is there. And for that whole thing, we give thanks. Which is a little bit different than ripping off one of the little colors of that tapestry and saying, of that horrific, sinful event against you, and saying, oh, thank you for that. God, I'm supposed to feel praise for Him. It's different. Is that making any sense? Okay. And so the Apostle Peter then, he could think about Judas. He can think about the Sanhedrin. He can think about Pontius Pilate. And he can know God did it without praising the actual sins itself. So in the very first sermon that he preached in the book of Acts, in the midst of it, Peter says this, This Jesus, who was delivered up to the cross, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you, you can add this, sinfully, crucified and killed by the hands of the Gentiles, Rome, lawless men. And in chapter 4 of Acts, the early church gathers together and they have a big prayer meeting. Luke gives us the gist of the prayer and in the midst of the prayer they prayed this way. Oh Father, For truly in this city of Jerusalem there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But there were gathered together both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do 
whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. What Paul is driving at is the truth of Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together in the tapestry for good. That is, to those who are called according to His purpose. Because God is building through pain and suffering and good and praiseworthy events and crying and tears in a very short, live, temporal existence here unto the resurrection, He is building a tapestry of eternal weight of glory. So we don't look at the little pieces isolated and say supposed to thank God that my child was killed today. No. It's horrible. It's sin. But I won't abandon you, God. My Savior through your Son. For you know what I don't. And I trust. Even this is working together for eternal good. We are called to hate evil, to hate pain. It's not a sin to try to avoid pain in general when a car is rushing down the street to jump out of the way. Or if you've got a pill that helps you with a headache, say, oh, thank you, that helps. We're called to mourn, we're called to feel, we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and to cry with those who cry truly from our hearts. But through it all, as Christians, we thank God our Father because He is sovereign and He is working for our eternal good. That's how Paul battled in his own life. You remember what he wrote at the beginning of 2 Corinthians? For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that it got to the point we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this was in order. Here's the purpose clause. And it's God's purpose in His sovereignty. This was in order to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. For that, Paul will give thanks because of how the affliction was orchestrated create something far more eternal. And in our verse, chapter 5, verse 20 of Ephesians, notice then in the midst of all of this how Paul turns our focus to the Father. Giving thanks always and for everything to whom? To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
to give thanks to God our Father who is saving us in Jesus Christ. That is to focus on the big picture of His sovereignty which includes each little trial of our lives. See, for everything, that everything or that for all things there in verse 20 is the same all things that Paul referred to back in chapter 1, verse 11. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance because we have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That all things is the same as chapter 1, verse 22, when Paul wrote, And God the Father put all things under Christ's feet and gave Him, Jesus, His head over all things to the church. And of course, it's the same all things as Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And so Paul draws us to pray, Father, in the midst of daily life, thank you. Thank you. Oh, sovereign Father. I, I, I want to just, I want, I, whoa, I beg that the Holy Spirit be working in us right now. I want to draw us in to the eternal Son, the eternal God who became one of us, a human being. And John the Apostle lets us in on our Savior praying. Not all of it, but some significant amount. From John 17, we read this. The night before He was crucified. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he, that man, said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh in order to give eternal life to all whom you have given to Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He goes on, and now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You've given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. He goes on. Father, I desire 
that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am in order to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And and these, my disciples, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And then he went to the cross and was killed and was raised from the dead. And on the third day, in his resurrection, he said, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. And so a number of years later, the Apostle Paul writes to us, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we know God as our Father. And because God is our loving Father who shows tender mercies and compassion toward us, His children, therefore we can be assured that the trials which He sovereignly allows are not flippant, they're not arbitrary, they're not cold-heartedness on the part of God our Father. But rather, He lovingly sends them to conform us for our eternal good to the image of His Son. That's how Paul puts it, isn't it? That's what salvation is about, according to Romans 8. For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And the Apostle Peter, he had the same Gospel He had the same worldview for all who were so mercifully and happily being rescued from eternal damnation. And he put it this way in 1 Peter 1, starting with verse 3. Oh, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord. Jesus Christ. He's the one who in His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead unto an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading. It's reserved, waiting for us in heaven. That is for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
And so no wonder He says to all who are born again, in this Gospel, you rejoice even though now for a little time if necessary you have been grieved by various manifold trials. And here comes the purpose clause. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith in Jesus, which is more precious than gold, that perishes, even though gold is melted down and tested by fire, but that your faith may be found in the end to result in praise and glory and honor in the future. At the revelation, at the second coming, of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's worldview. That's Peter's worldview. Jesus' worldview. That is the worldview of the Gospel. And we know this is sinful, earthly fathers. Fathers who love their children, care about their children as 33-year-olds. In the long run, I know you want to just play now, but you can't. You must do something that you don't like at the moment, which is study. I know you would like to only eat candy all day long, but you can't. You must eat healthy food also, I know you don't want to do chores, but you must. The best of fathers know this in the raising of their kids. Kids don't know it. That's why authority, sovereign authority, the house could be very beneficial. Fathers look long term. Salvation is not here. It awaits the resurrection. And thus all things here are working together for unending good and unimaginable joy. And so to give thanks always for all things we need as believers to constantly be reminded to be deliberately focusing on God's sovereign love eternally for us. And His love in verse 20, it's just one little sentence this morning, it is right there. And it seems like a throwaway line to a lot of us Christians unless you slow down and read it 138 times. But here it goes again. Hear the love. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the love. We have to grasp that every day of our lives. I'm in Christ. He's my Lord. No wonder the Apostle John writes in 
1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Oh, and he defines it. What do you mean, John? What kind of love? It's this, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And as Paul has flowed throughout this letter of Ephesians, remember, this is where we come from. We were alienated from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no love for God and true truth. We only loved darkness. We were children of God's holy wrath. And then verse 4 of chapter 2, Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, therefore what? He made us alive together with His Son. Jesus Christ. No wonder he exclaims twice in that chapter, By grace, you have been delivered, rescued forever, saved. Or the wonderful way Paul says it in Romans 8.32. The Father... (laughs) who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for all of us believers. How in the world shall He not freely give to us all no matter what transpires down here. That's a summary of the rest of the chapter. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so in our context, no wonder the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, exhorts us Be constantly desirous of pursuing being under the influence of the Holy Spirit who lives within you in order that you may sing joyfully and constantly have a heart of thankfulness to God our Father. And when you think about it, with this verse, God's reputation is at stake. If we who profess Christ, if we who profess the resurrection in this glorious good news, walk around constantly, day after day, as our lifestyle, as those rebellious people in the wilderness under Moses, grumbling and murmuring, then the world around us, if they have common sense, must think that this God, this Jesus thing, must not really be all that great. See, usually... People who are outside of Christ and are walking around in this world, right? Looking at professing Christians who are constantly, dispositionally miserable complainers thinking, please tell me about this Jesus. I want to be as miserable as you. It's not usually how it works. But I want you to notice the disposition of believers that the Apostle Peter assumes. 
says it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. Christians, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, precious, valuable, holy. And what? And thus always being prepared to make a defense. That is, to give a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why would they think you have hope? Unless you are constantly giving thanks in your life before you walk out your door for this glorious salvation that the Father has mercifully given to us. We are called to a life of joyful singing and happy gratitude to a loving, caretaking, sovereign Father. That's your Father. If you are in Christ, that's His love. Closing. Do you remember how Paul kicked off this letter? Paul does. So when he says, always and for everything, give thanks. To God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, He has what He started with in mind. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He, the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption that He becomes our Father for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, He did this. And He did it for the goal that we would praise His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in His beloved Christ. And it is in Him, Christ, that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, all according to the riches of His grace. It's all Him. It's all the love of God our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Experienced and applied by God the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So, Sovereign Grace, let us continue. No matter what comes your way, continue to focus on the Gospel of our salvation while seeking to be filled and under the influence of the Holy Spirit in order to put a stop to grumbling and to cultivate a richer, deeper heart of thanksgiving that glorifies our Father in heaven. He is faithful and He through this Word and by His Spirit will do it. Let's pray. Father, we...
confidently together as the church come before Your throne of grace in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we ask You to in a deeper and richer way glorify Your name in us here at Sovereign Grace by driving our affections and desires and delight in communing with You deeper and deeper that in the midst of all trials and every good thing that comes down from You, the food we eat, the roof we have over our head, our children that come home safely, may we be a people of deep gratitude and thankfulness. Do it, O Father. Do it to the glory of our Savior, Your Son, Jesus Christ.